Well, hey, I'm, I'm glad that you're here, thankful that you're here. Those of you who are worshiping online with us, listening online, man, I'm thrilled that you're here today because we are continuing a series that we started last week. We're continuing, continuing a series we're calling Legacy, and we're asking the question, what is the legacy that you're leaving behind when you leave this world behind? It's an important question for us, and I want you to know whether you are nine, whether you are 19, or whether you are 91, this is an important question to ask, and here's why. Because you don't get to choose whether or not you leave a legacy, but you do get to choose what legacy you leave. Last week, we began looking at the life of Jesus. Now, regardless of what you may believe about Jesus, you have to admit, he left the ultimate legacy, one that we are still talking about today. In fact, back in 2013, New York Times gave him the nod as the most significant and influential person in all of history. But how did he do it? How did he leave that legacy? Well, we saw last week that he was very intentional with the way that he lived his life. He was very intentional with who influenced him. He listened to the voice of his father, and that was the only voice. All the other voices just fell by the side. He listened to the voice of his father. He was intentional with who he chose to influence, and he was intentional with how he chose to influence. So here's what we want to do today. First of all, thank you for the, the emails, the calls, the texts that I've gotten this past week about the legacies that have been left in your life. Some of you you're planning memorial services right now. Some of you, you just had memorial services for a loved one. There's something about those moments that just give this moment of clarity, like what really matters in life. And you've been experiencing that, and some of you, you're experiencing the power of legacy in your life. And some of you, you are getting to sit right next to a primary influencer in your life right now. Some of you, you're worshiping it online at home, and you're sitting next to somebody who's been influencing your faith. What a gift that you still get to sit right next to them. But we're asking the question, last week our question was, who is influencing you? And this week, our question is, who are you influencing? Who are you influencing so that your legacy of faith goes on beyond you? I remember when I was seven years old, watching for the very first time the Olympic torch relay. You've seen this, where people carry the torch. It's part of the traditional pre-ceremony um, ritual for the Olympics. And I, re I remember this was back in, uh, I think it was 1984, the Olympics were in LA. And I just remember this guy carrying this torch high above his head and he was carrying it through the Coliseum. And then he started carrying it, running it up these steps, these very steep steps. It looked like they just went forever all the way to the top. And I remember the, the big dramatic soundtrack that was playing. I mean, it was like something like straight out of a Rocky movie, okay? Like it was getting you pumped up and he was... He was running up his steps, and I just remember it seemed like it took forever. But he finally got up there, and he, and he raised the torch high above his head and kind of waved it around for everyone to see, and then he raised it up high, and he lit the Olympic rings, and they caught on fire, and just, the crowd just went crazy. It was just amazing. Well, since then, 
year, seven years old, I've since learned a few things about this torch. First of all, I've learned that that torch has traveled all around the world. Uh, in fact, did you know this? It actually traveled through San Antonio in late 2001. Bit of trivia for you. You didn't know that? I've also learned that it's been carried by runners. It's been carried by cyclists. It's been carried by swimmers. It's been, uh, it was carried on a surfboard one time. Uh, it's made it to the summit of Mount Everest. Uh, the torch has also, well, protected the flame, of course, but it was also uh, carried by a diver underneath water for a few minutes in the Coral Sea. But you didn't know that either, did you? So what I've learned about that is actually it's, it's not just one torch. It's actually multiple torches, hundreds of torches each year that are passed. I, I don't know. I always thought they were just passing one torch on to the next, but that's not the way it works. Multiple torch bearers, multiple torches. You see, what I've learned about that is that it's not about the torch or the torch bearer. It's about the flame. It's about the flame. The flame is what's sacred. The flame is not to be lost. It's not to be forgotten. It is to be carried with care and with passion, with the intent not to keep it to oneself, but to pass it on. You and I may never carry the flame of Olympia, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you carry within you the flame of the Holy Spirit. You carry within you the flame of faith. Now, how do I know this? Well, the Apostle Paul told us that actually he told Timothy, his young apprentice, this. Paul was in prison. He was writing his young apprentice, Timothy, and he wrote him and he called him, my dear son. This is 2 Timothy, my dear son, talking about sincere faith. And then he says this. For this reason, okay, because, for the reason, because of your sincere faith, because people have invested in you, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is where? I'm sorry, where? Okay, yeah, which is in you through the laying on my hands. That's a way of Paul saying, I have passed this flame on you, I've passed this faith on you. To you. You see, it's not about the torch, it's not about the torch bearer, it's about the flame. And this flame of faith, it is not to be lost, it is not to be forgotten, it is to be carried with care and with passion, with the intent not to keep it to oneself, but to pass it on. You and I have that flame of faith within us. The question is, are we going to be people that pass the torch. And so each week we're looking through scripture at people who intentionally passed on faith, influenced the faith of the next generation. Today we're going to be looking at a guy named Moses. Maybe you're familiar with Moses. Um, we're going to find him in about Exodus 18. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 18, uh, we're going to catch up with him there. Here's a little background as you're turning there. Moses was born probably around 1525 B.C. He grew up in Egyptian royalty for the first, give or take, the first 40 years of his life. And then something happened, something changed all of that when one day Moses, being a Hebrew, saw another Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian slave master. Well, in the heat of the moment, 
Moses retaliated and killed this slave master. And for that reason, he got out of Dodge. He fleed Egypt, and he went into a place that was so mid, they actually called it Midian. It's actually the name of it. So he went to Midian, and he went, and it was in the middle of the wilderness. And so Moses is spending about 40 years, give or take, here in the wilderness. And that is when he meets with God. He finds the flame of God. Literally a burning bush. He turns aside and he sees this bush that is burning, but it's not being consumed. And through that, God instructs him, you are going to be the one to go into Egypt and you're going to deliver my children. And you are going to bring them out of bondage and out of slavery. Now, Moses is reluctant at first, but eventually he is obedient. And he does just that. He goes into Egypt he leads them out of slavery. He leads them through the Red Sea and then leads them into the wilderness. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> you guys have heard this story before. Okay, some of you haven't heard this story before and if you haven't, you're gonna find out why they're laughing. But that's not exactly what happened. In fact, when we catch up with Moses in Exodus 18, he's trying to carry the torch all by himself. That's when he gets a visit from his father-in-law, Jethro. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is it this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning till evening, Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Sounds like a pretty good response. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Maybe you've heard that from your father-in-law too, you know. But he has a point. What, are you, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. I don't remember this so much with our, our first three, our boys, but I remember when Annie came along, she had this phrase that she loved to repeat all the time, especially when she was young. Um, it went a little something like this. I do it myself. It didn't matter if it was trying to help her tie her shoes. I do it to myself. Uh, trying, trying to buckle the car seat. You know, you're always in a hurry. You always got somewhere to go. And I do it to myself. It didn't matter if you were going to spend another 20 minutes there trying to buckle that seat. She'd do it herself. I think there's something in us from a, a young age. Sometimes there's something in us even as adults. We just don't grow out of that. There's something in us that just wants to do it Ourself. Now, we know at this point in the, in the life of the Israelite nation, they're about 600,000 men strong. Okay, so that's men, women, and children. It's probably topping around a million people. And Moses is the sole arbiter for all of their disputes. Can you imagine? Now, why would one man take on so much responsibility? Perhaps the better question is, why do you? Why do I? 
Why do we tend to hold on to roles and responsibilities instead of sharing that load with others who are capable? I think there are a couple reasons why we do this. Uh, and we see this play out in a lot of different areas in our lives. I know some of you, you're, you're business leaders, and you've probably seen this in your businesses. You've probably seen this in the places where you work. Uh, we see this in homes, sometimes with parents. You know, we're reluctant to give away roles and responsibilities and share that. I'll tell you another place we see this play out a lot. It's in ministry. <laughs> we, we tend to, here's a couple reasons why this happens. Number one, it's because of time. Maybe you've just spent a lot of time doing something, okay? You know you've spent a lot of time. Everyone else knows that you've spent a lot of time doing this. And so you've just kind of occupied this space with this role. It's just kind of what you do. And it kind of gets tied up into your identity just a little bit. And it's, maybe that's one of the reasons why it's a little hard to let go. Uh, here's a second reason. It's not always time, but talent. Maybe you're just really good at something. Everyone knows you're really good at it. Let's be honest. You know you're good at it. And so people tell you you're good at it, and you like it when people tell you that you're good at it, and so you just tend to kind of hang on just a little bit longer than you should and release just a little less than you should. Now, this is important because of the impact that it has on legacy. Now, this is where Moses found himself. You see, Moses hadn't taken the step. Uh, last time we talked about how Jesus was very intentional about who influenced him. Moses had taken that step. Moses was very obedient to God and he was listening to the voice of God. But he had not taken that second step of deciding and choosing who he was going to influence. And he had not taken the step of choosing how he would influence. In steps his father-in-law. His father-in-law has a plan. Basically, the plan is, Moses, you gotta pass the torch. Look, listen to what he says. Here's the response. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. Moses took that next step. He chose very intentionally who he would influence. And he had a plan. He chose how he would influence. And Moses not only did this with, with judges, Moses would also do this with um, one man in particular, his younger apprentice. His name was Joshua. And so we first find Joshua in Exodus 17. Now, next week, there's an amazing story in Exodus 17. We're going to come back to that next week. But for this week, just suffice it to say, Joshua is leading the Israelite army, and he is doing so quite successfully. So from this moment on, Joshua and Moses have this close relationship. In fact, I don't know about you, but I'd always envision when, when Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the tablets of the Ten Commandments, I'd always pictured him just there by himself. Just Lone Ranger Moses going up the mountain and receiving the tablets. But you know what scripture tells us? There was somebody there with Moses. Can you imagine who that might be? Joshua. Thank you. That one person who's willing to answer me. 
It was Joshua. He was there. He was, how cool would that have been? He was on the mountain with Moses. And then when they came down the mountain, and, and I'm sure they're on a, on a you know, a, a high point here. They come down and they find out that all the people have, you know, they're worshiping this golden calf. Moses gets angry and breaks said tablets of the Ten Commandments. Guess who was there right beside him? Thank you. <laughs> Once again, it was Joshua. I'm waiting for someone to go, well, I think it's Joshua, but I guess the answer is Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> the answer in this case is Joshua. He was there. He was there with him. Now, we don't know specifically if Joshua was with Moses at this moment, but there was another pivotal kind of hinge point in, in Moses's life. It was a moment when God instructed Moses to speak to a rock so that water would flow out of that rock for the sake of the nation. Moses disobeyed and in anger, he did not speak to the rock. He struck the rock not once, but twice. Now, this decision would have repercussions for Moses and for the, the nation of Israel. Here, here's what happened. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. He's talking about the promised land. He's talking about the thing that they wake up talking about. You know, how much farther, how much longer? I mean, this is Moses. Moses who led them out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of bondage. This is Moses who led them through the parted sea. This is Moses who led them through the wilderness. Moses who set up a system of arbitration for over a million people. Common Moses dub. But he will not be the one to step in to that promised land. Perhaps the greatest thing that Moses did was to prepare the next generation for the promised land that he would see, but that he would not enter. There's a theologian, Elton Trueblood. I love this quote. He says, We have made at least a start in discovering the meaning in human life when we plant shade trees under which we know full well we will never sit. Do you see that's what Moses made a choice? That's what he did for the nation of Israel. Moses would nurture Joshua. He would mentor Joshua encourage him. He would challenge him. He would step in when, when something wasn't quite right and he would get on him a little bit. And then he'd turn around and encourage him all over again. You get the sense that Moses was Joshua's biggest cheerleader. And it was a good thing because I th think we would all agree Joshua had some big shoes to fill. But for Moses, it wasn't about his young torchbearer. It was about the flame. So from one torchbearer to another torchbearer, that flame began to grow brighter and hotter than it ever had in the nation's history. Joshua would, in fact, lead the Israelites into the promised land just as God had promised. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And of the elders who outlived him 
and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) I wish I could tell you that after all of that, I wish I could tell you that generation after generation knew and served the Lord. But that's not what happened. In fact, here's what happened. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I mean, think about this for a second. These were grandparents that had actually walked out of Egypt, had actually walked through the Red Sea. And we're talking about grandchildren, great-grandchildren who don't know the Lord or what he had done. How, How does that happen? How do you lose an entire faith of an entire generation? Scripture's not specific about that. We don't know the specifics, but we know the result. And it was a lost generation of faith. I don't know, maybe, maybe they just got complacent. Maybe they got busy. I mean, after all, they, they were in the promised land. I mean, they had things to do. They had, they had important things to do. They had a, a life to build, a land to, to conquer and dwell in. There, were, there was a lot going, so I don't know, maybe, maybe they just got busy. Maybe they actually thought someone else was doing it. You know, maybe, maybe every weekend they dropped their kids off at Tabernacle Bible Land. And they just thought, well, surely they're going to pass faith on to my kids. I don't know. Maybe they just kind of went through the motions and gave lip service to God. And then another generation came along and said, I don't want to go through the motions. It's pointless. I don't know, maybe, maybe the old fogies and the young whippersnappers couldn't get it together. I don't know. Just know the result. Just know that they lost the faith of a generation. It happened. But it doesn't have to happen to us. We can be people who pass the torch. We can be a people who understand that we are carrying the flame of the gift of God. The question is, what are we going to do with it? The question is, who are you influencing? Is your life more like Moses or like Joshua? I mean, Joshua did some great things in his life. I think you would agree. I mean, he won some great battles. He led them into the promised land successfully. But we don't see in Scripture Joshua pouring into his successor the way that we saw Moses pour into Joshua. So this is an important question for us. Who are you influencing? Here's a couple things that you can do, next steps, things that you can do this week. I hope that you'll consider this. Number one, pray about who God is calling you to influence. We looked at Jesus' life last week, 
And we saw that Jesus spent the entire night praying before he chose his disciples. Moses himself, he didn't just go, oh, let's see, who's going to be my successor? Any, many, miny, mo. No, God told Moses that Joshua was the one. Would you be willing to pray about that? About who you might influence? And number two, choose three relationships. We're just going to break this down here because this is going to seem a little overwhelming. Choose three relationships in which you can intentionally pass the torch. You know, many times we envision Jesus standing before the multitudes and all the, all the people. But really, he did that. But that's not where he spent most of his time. He spent most of his time with 12. He spent most of his time with this small band of followers, men and women that would walk with him and follow him. But you know, he spent even more time with three. Peter, James, and John. They had a special relationship with Jesus and Jesus took them places. Just like Moses took Joshua up on that mountain, Jesus took Peter, James, and John places that didn't take just all the disciples. He had a special relationship with three. I'm wondering if you could too. Dream with me for just a second. I mean, what if I, I have the honor of hanging out with a few thousand torchbearers today. Those of you worshiping with us online, several thousand more. So I just, just dream with me here for just a second. What if we got really intentional? What if all of us got really intentional about three relationships in our life? Maybe someone we're already spending a lot of time with. Maybe it's someone where we live, work, learn, or play that we just sense this real spiritual hunger in them. And we know that the hunger that they have, only Jesus can satisfy. What if we got really intentional? I just wonder how much brighter, how much hotter would the flame be in a year's time if we all invested in just three. We're talking about spending time with someone intentionally, encouraging someone, just being intentional to send that text, to make that call, to walk with them, and then encourage them some more. Maybe they've got questions. Maybe there's some, ans- uh, some questions that you can answer. Maybe you don't have the answers, but you can figure out where to find them. What if? Just imagine. Now, if you never trusted Jesus with your life, you need to know that is the first step. That is your first step. And you need to know that there is no flame without Jesus. I want to encourage you the most important thing that you can do in this life is to receive that flame of faith. To receive Jesus, that refining fire in your life. Because I can tell you that your best life, it is life in Christ. He has what you need. What He is offering, the resources that He has for your life. It's what you've been looking for. You see, like Moses... Jesus has led us out of bondage and slavery. To what? To sin. 
and to death. And you know what else? He's led us out of slavery to ourselves, to this pressure that we have in our culture today to figure out who we are, to figure out what our identity is. Well, he's already given us that identity. And like Joshua, one of these days, Jesus is going to return. And he's going to take his people and he's going to lead his children into the promised land yet again, the land that we were created for. He will show us the people that we are to be. And he'll show us the place that we are to dwell in forever and ever and ever in eternity with him. Light the fire, fan the flame, and pass the torch. Light the fire, fan the flame, and pass the torch. We say that with me. Light the fire, fan the flame, and pass the torch. I want you to say that one more time with me like you mean it. Light the fire, fan the flame, and all God's people said, let's pray about that. Father, we want to thank you for the flame of faith that made its way, that was passed on to us. We can't help but think about the people, and probably multiple people, who shared with us who you are and what you had done. And we got to hear the stories. Father, we thank you for that. I want to, I want to thank you for the person who's giving you their life right now for the very first time who's realizing that Jesus hung on that cross that he died for our sin that he rose from the dead saving us from our own death I want to thank you for the person giving you their life Father thank you for giving us all life and may this flame that we carry not be a flame that we keep to ourselves but one that we pass on to someone else May it be so, in the name of Jesus, amen.